Hi everyone, this is Dr. Jarvik, and I am going to do a um, reproduction, um, not really quite an overview, but kind of some of the trimester highlights and some of those changes by concept. So um, first thing I'm going to start out with is that um, the initial signs of pregnancy, frequently the first thing is that absence of menses, that absence of the period, and that will usually lead mom to have a pregnancy test, and of course that pregnancy test is looking for that HCG hormone, and this can either be done via blood test or urine. Um, one of the other signs and symptoms that moms may feel is nausea and vomiting. And so important inventions to teach mom is to have crackers literally right beside their bed so that they can consume some of those prior to actually getting out of bed. So salting crackers work well, dry toast. Um, another thing that can cause nausea and vomiting for the pregnant mom is the prenatal vitamin. And so what frequently works is encouraging them to take that at bedtime and that will help keep them from having that nausea while they're awake. And, and that's personally what I had to do. I did not do well with the prenatal vitamins. Now, with severe nausea and vomiting, we would call that hyperemesis gravidum. And so this is um, when somebody just can't keep anything down. Um, so we're going to need to make sure we're assessing their weight, their fluid status, their electrolytes. They may need IV fluids. Um, they may receive ondansetron, which we've talked about before as an antiemetic. That would be preferable over promethazine because of the side effects of the promethazine. But um, I have known somebody who had to alternate every six hours. She would take ondansetron, then three hours later, she would take the promethazine. And then three hours later, so they, were, they were every six hours, but just staggered three hours apart. Um, now, <clears throat> things that the OB-GYN might notice um, is an early sign is that Chadwick sign where there's that bluest discoloration of the cervix, uh, vaginal labia, or the Goodall sign. There's actually a softening of the cervix. Um, frequently, women will experience um, frequency at the beginning of the pregnancy, and that's some of that is the, the hormone changes. There's breast changes where the breast can become fuller, the areola becomes darker, and um, tenderness. And so one of the things that helps with that tenderness is um, wearing a support bra. And, um, you know, sometimes they even have to wear it day and night because the breast tenderness can be so, um, so severe, uh, especially at the beginning period of time. <clears throat> Um, respiratory changes. Of course, as mom gets um, bigger, but the baby is getting bigger, it can be harder to breathe. I know we've talked about that. Um, so encouraging mom to lie on the side. Sorry, you can hear my dog um, playing <laughs> in the background. Um, so um, helping mom to, to breathe on her side, that can help with that. Um, another thing that we've talked about is anemia. And so um, it's very common for pregnant moms to have some anemia. The body's just needing more and more of it. And so the person may receive um, an iron supplement. And of course, there's lots of teaching to do with iron. And we've talked about this multiple times, um, not to take it with milk, to take it with citrus, ideally take it on an empty stomach, call dark tarry stools constipation, all of those things for constipation, um, lots of different changes that uh, we would need to teach mom about 
Um, the other thing that we can see with anemia is the thing that we've talked about with pica, where uh, the person is consumption of um, not true food or nutritious substances. Um, so if they're having pica where they're eating dirt or clay or baking soda or starch, um, ice is really common with pica. Um, if they're having those types of things, then we might want to do a CBC and be checking for that iron deficiency anemia. <clears throat> um, we've talked about the blood volume changes that um, during pregnancy, um, mom's blood volume definitely changes. And <clears throat> the blood pressure actually decreases in the first trimester, and that's secondary to hormonal changes. So some of the things that we would want to teach mom is to um, get up slowly, um, you know, sit and then stand, um, teach them to, um, when they are sitting, to have their feet elevated for some of those things. Um, fatigue is also really common um, and it occurs mostly in the first and third trimester. And this is um, partially from those hormonal changes. So we want to encourage mom to take frequent rest periods throughout the day when she can um, get regular exercise. That's going to help with the, the sleeping and, um, you know, relaxation and, and good foods and avoiding those stimulants is going to help with that. <clears throat> Another thing from a perfusion standpoint is that ankle edema. Again, this usually occurs more in that second and third trimester. Um, and it's partially from that vasodilation and venostasis and um, elevating the legs at least twice a day when, when resting, sleeping sideline, wearing support hose when possible, and really just, you know, avoid sitting for long periods of time or standing. They want to be moving around. Um, varicose veins also can happen um, in that second and third trimester. And um, again, wearing those supportive stockings, elevating the feet, um, and just, you know, moving around to help improve that circulation. Don't cross the legs. Um, don't wear anything that's really tight. Uh, let's see. What else did I want to talk about? Um, now, for um, perfusion, we did talk about how... Um, that later on the blood pressure can go up. And so there's that risk for gestational hypertension and risk for preeclampsia. And I'll do a specific uh, podcast on that. Now, some skin changes that we can see are the stretch marks. Really not a lot we can do with that. There's that linea uh, nigra, and um, that usually fades after birth. The cloasma, uh, which is that facial darkening that usually goes away again after um, the baby is born. And so some things to try and help with um, those skin issues is, again, um, trying to um, use lotions to avoid sun, maybe using some sunscreen. Um, they can end up with some, the hair changes, sorry, I lost my, my train of thought there, um, increases in estrogen and progesterone, those, um, 
of course affect all of those things. Um, so we're just gonna want them to keep the skin clean and, and dry. Um, another thing that can happen um, is amniotic fluid leaking. We would want them to notify the physician if that happened, of course, that's not good. Um, patient may bleed vaginally. We kind of talked about that uh, subchorionic hemorrhage in class and that can cause that painless vaginal bleeding. Another thing that can cause that painless vaginal bleeding is placenta previa. And they would want to um, be sure to talk to their healthcare provider for that. Um, they would do an ultrasound to check for that placenta previa to make sure that um, otherwise the, the door is closed and we can't get baby out. Baby's got to come out before that. We talked about contractions, those Braxton Hicks. Um, those are not the uh, true contractions. They're the false contractions. And these tend to be inconsistent versus um, real contractions tend to be consistent and the time increases. And with real contractions, they increase with walking and movement versus the false contractions do not. And those can, the false contractions can start as early as uh, the second trimester. And dysuria, if the patient has that, they could have a UTI. We want them to notify the healthcare provider. They usually do a UA revisit. Um, edema, a little bit of edema is normal um, and puffy is okay, but if they start getting too puffy, then they could be preeclamptic and we would want to check their blood pressure and their protein and their urine. Another thing that we're going to teach mom about is um, fetal movements. Usually they can start feeling maybe some fluttering, um, usually closer to 20 weeks, but sometimes as early as 16 weeks. Um, and it's kind of that quickening is what they call it. And this can kind of be confused a little bit with um, peristalsis, kind of feels the same, but it's much, much more fun to think that it's the baby kicking than just uh, peristalsis. But once we get to about 28 weeks, um, we do want to teach mom to do some kick counts. Um, so the mom should lie on her side um, for about two hours. And baby needs to kick um, 10 times in two hours. And, you know, sometimes baby falls asleep, so mom may need to take some sugar or drink some juice. And to kind of get baby, I know I would always just take my finger and poke my belly to get <laughs> the baby to wake up. Um, another thing um, that I know that we've talked about is um, <clears throat> there's a thing called AB um, or um, ABO incompatibility. So mom might be um, blood type O versus baby could be A, B, or even AB. And um, this is usually not as big of a problem. Um, the biggest issue that can happen is that um, the blood cells kind of break down some hemolysis and baby will be born with jaundice. And we'll talk about jaundice care in another podcast. <clears throat> now we have spent quite a bit of time talking about RH negative. Um, that is going to be our biggest concern. So if mom is um, RH negative, um, we don't know what baby is. So mom is going to get Rogam at 28 weeks and if she has any vaginal bleeding. So if she has that, um, you know, cryonic subarachnoid hemorrhage, um, I just said that totally wrong. Um, those invasive procedures, either an amniocentesis or cryonic villi sampling, um, she would need to get Rogam. And then she needs to get it again, 72 hours within delivery. And um, that's really most important. Um, if baby is positive. So if baby was EB negative, mom wouldn't technically need to get the Rogam after birth. Um, 
But so if mom's AB is, is RH negative and baby is positive after delivery, then mom definitely needs that. Um, and the reason that we do that is that if um, mom doesn't get Rogam, then she can develop antibodies, RH antibodies, and then the subsequent babies could have hemolytic anemia. So that would definitely be something we would want to avoid. Um, we've also talked about another test that we can do for mom is alpha feta protein. And that is done usually between 15 and 20 weeks. That's a serum test, uh, meaning blood test. And that is done to check for neural tube defects. All right, one other test I want to um, kind of talk about is the um, non-stress test. So we talked about the, the fetal counts. Now the non-stress test is um, done to help assess whether the placenta is functioning and there's good oxygenation, helps us to tell that the baby's doing well, and um, it evaluates the fetal heart rate in response to the fetal movement. So they put an extra little uh, outside of the body, they put a transducer on it, and um, it does that tracing of the baby's um, heart rate. And um, the client is usually placed on their, their side, of course, so that the baby's not pressing on that vena cava. And then the client is asked to press a button every time she feels fetal mo movement. And we really want um, for the baby to have um, at least um, accelerations of uh, the heart rate um, at least twice in 20 minutes. So a reactive test is positive and that tells us that the baby's healthy. A non-reactive means that the baby didn't react. That would be abnormal and so that is not good. So a non-reactive, non-stress test is not good. That's that NNN abbreviation we talked about. <clears throat> now, um, another test is that contraction stress test. And this also assesses that placental oxygenation and function, helps us to determine baby's ability to tolerate labor and overall baby wellness. Um, so they'll usually give mom just a little bit of like Pitocin to help stimulate some um, minor contractions. And this is often done if that non-stress test is abnormal. And so again, we're going to um, check the mom, make sure that see what the baby is doing as far as um, how the baby's heart rate is responding to those contractions. And so a negative contraction stress test is normal. We don't want baby to have stress to the reaction. A positive contraction stress test is abnormal. So that means that the baby um, positively responded to stress. So, so stress caused responses. And so that is not a good thing. And I think that's where I'm going to leave off so this isn't too long. And then I will do another podcast talking about um, preeclampsia. So I hope this is helpful.